Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is Robert Fisher, and I'm the host of Monergy Life. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a show, so I'm very pleased to get back on the air and to welcome my guest tonight, Henry Cross. Henry's an interesting fellow who uh, spanned a career from education to community work to yoga to a place where contemplation is now considered a gift. We'll get more into that when Henry calls in, which should be any moment. Uh, to be a little more specific about his background, uh, Henry was an educator and then joined Hash Yoga uh, a few years back. Henry, is that you? Yeah, that's me. Well, welcome to Monergy Life. How are you this evening? Good. Here, uh, enjoying my time in Midtown. <laughs> oh, great. Well, that makes two of us. <laughs> Uh, oh wow! So Henry, I was <laughs> what, what a what a coincidence! Uh, I was just giving the uh, the listeners a little bit of your background, and you called in at the perfect time. And the the, the way the the show is set up, um, talking about the gift of contemplation, which as I described in in the uh, in the uh, episode uh, description. Um, your career, your experiences with self, community, and service have converged mm-hmm. into a place where contemplation arises. Now, why don't you talk about this contemplation that you're talking about? Right. I think what I, what I can share is that there is so much inner work and self-work that needs to be done Uh, in order to really come to terms as to what is it that we belong doing in real time, right? And and so I think for me, there's two guiding questions going on all the time. What is like, you know, what what was I born to do? And that is in the moment of that time in my life. And then B, um, and what matters really real time? And... Um, at least in my personal journey, like you said, self uh, and community, it was very clear that, you know, coming from like a low income means and growing up in, in, in Miami um, and then just going through, through a process where, where contemplation, where contemplation was a very key, um, uh, healing process through yoga and meditation and mindfulness, um, then I think out of that we get clear seeing. And, and so I, I personally think that that's the gift of contemplation is that we, we choose the roads that, that will make us healthier and happier people. <clears throat> Do you think that a lot of people struggle today between the real world and the virtual world that is uh, that where more and more people are spending a lot of their time. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is that uh, the more dialed in we are with, with our uh, self-work and inner work, we get to realize, well, you know, it does this bring joy, peace and liberation in my life to be Buddhist about it. Right. Um, And I think what I, I keep realizing is that, 
um, the more we skydive into inner space, into, into our hearts, if you will, then the, the clearer we get about how is it that we want to use our time on this planet, right? And our time, energy, and resources on this planet. So um, I think what I personally learn, even from myself, is that I was, you know, I'd be spending enough to eight to ten hours a week on, on these social media apps and if I spend 119 hours awake a week, um, then that's 8 to 10% of my time that I could, uh, you know, potentially be using uh, differently. And that's 8 to 10% of my time that I could either be, um, you know, making myself better in relationship to whether it's a contemplative practice or a hobby or a creative uh, pursuit of one nature or another um, or, uh, or spending more time with friends and family so I, I think what 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 I've learned is that um, the, the virtual world is essential and it's no doubt a blessing to modern life. But there's also moments that uh, that are, I've learned are, are needed for us to pause and say, wait, what is the true function uh, of this of this tool uh, in our lives? And I've been like really learning that in the past months. Right. What were some of your influences that put you on this road towards self-discovery? Yeah, um, heck of a question. Uh, what, I, what I know is that um, is, it, it was, I think it all starts for me as an effort to um, a knack and an effort to discover new, new ways of seeing uh, as I was growing up. And for me, the quickest way was education because education can be very good at eradicating ignorance. And it helps us question our premises and assumptions about things and people and places very quickly. So for me, I think initially was, I just, I felt that by nature, I was a very curious uh, kid and a person of inquiry. And so a way for me to, you know, cope with, um, a path where I go from um, childhood trauma to depression to young adulthood to actualizing like my business life, I think what I see is a lot of curiosity and inquiry. So for me, that came in the forms of, of studying. That is, I was just, I enjoyed schooling. I enjoyed books. Um, and then that became in the form of, of ballroom dancing. And then that led into yoga. And then yoga led into you know, my life, the better half of the past 10 years. And so I, I would say curiosity is, is, is the essential, is one of the essential ingredients to address whatever ignorance that it's, you know, um, obstructing how we could, would, or should be truly uh, feeling um, so that we're, you know, healthier and happier members of society. Were there any particular individuals or people who you could point absolutely. to? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, reading uh, reading this this there's this 19 late 40s or early 50s book by a sociologist sociologist called Robert Nisbet. It's called The Quest for Community, and this man was a cynic. He thought that communities were dying uh, because everything had become aggrandized by the rights of the welfare state and the big government. And so civil society and communities as we knew them were having less interactions. And ever since I read that, I, I challenged 
that. And I, I didn't feel that, <laughs> that we did, we had to have communities die. And, you know, I'm per- mostly motivated by people and I just had this incessant craving to, um, be in relationship to whether it was, you know, through service or through, you know, government work or through philanthropic work to, to always be in the presence of people in the most helping way that I could. And that for me, my intervention was um, delivering this tool of yoga and mindfulness techniques to um, alleviate stress, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, lack of sleep, and, and all the plethora of issues that uh, contempla- uh, contemplative practices like, like yoga help uh, us uh, cope with, uh, address with um, as we navigate life. Could you uh, tell our listeners some of the obstacles that you had to overcome when you were working with Hatch Yoga in terms of providing these wellness programs? And, you know, and, and tell us a little more about, you know, the people that are benefiting from these programs. Yeah. So, you know, as you ask that question, uh, what came to mind is how are we, uh, I think program delivery uh, came, came to mind. Like, how are we going to serve uh, these, how are we going to deliver this program that matters to us? And I, I think what, I, what I've learned from, from the obstacles is that, you know, even in 2010, 2011, 2012, when we're spearheading this work, um, there was still a lot of people, particularly in the in the public sector and in, in government and in schools and in senior centers, that were not particularly yet as open about this uh, modality, that is uh, yoga-based uh, exercises and contemplative work and um, like I like this phrase I'm going back to again in this conversation, a new way of seeing uh, healthier and happier people through this movement and meditation practice. Um, so I think for us, it was a bit of, of stigmatized to like, to, to break a stigmatize, um, something that would be otherwise a stigma, like, oh, not yoga, right? Uh, not in school or not in the senior center or, um, and then also doing it a little differently. So having, having, um, taking a look at how is it that to be utilitarian about it, how can we deliver the, you know, the most value and quality for the greatest number. And so we looked at, you know, we, <laughs> we were very realistic of cost and what is that, what, what can communities afford? And, and we did that with, with our school programs. We did that for our sustaining memberships at the yoga studio. We did that with like um, uh, funding that we would get to cultivate new programs from city and state uh, government here in New York City, in New York. So uh, I think for us it was making sure that we were willing to 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 participate in in a bit of of information um, delivery before transactions, and then making sure that we were clear in our in our pro- delivery in our program delivery uh, to reach as many people as we did. <laughs> And and I'm curious about a few things after hearing your response. How did how did kids react to uh, the implementation of yoga, and how did the seniors react? You know what's what uh, surprising about that question is that 
there is um there was this, this I never forget this moment where we donated outdoor yoga day for uh for a school in Bedsty and with one of our best instructors delivering the program that day and she uh this little boy third grader comes up to uh our instructor and myself and he asked excuse me um what is this called uh uh that was my first time are you coming back next week because um, he felt he felt he felt good you know i think that's what happens with with a yoga experience you know that you can feel a little ha- healthier a little happier and a little more hopeful about whatever it is that uh, your 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 mind, body, or your spirit is 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 dealing with, or or better yet, just just you know doing maintenance so you keep feeling whole about life, um, and you're in a, a place to just to just continue celebrating your life. So, I think the discovery was that there were children that innately and and uh, said, look, this is good for me, um, and then there's another group of fifth grade boys that we once surveyed in um in bushwick in brooklyn and when you ask the boys did they have a favorable opinion of yoga at the beginning of the year um eight about 70 to 80 percent of them uh raised their hand and said no they didn't feel like yoga was something they were going to be interested or that was going to be helpful to them and then by the and then when we asked them that question at the end of the year again um over over well over half of those boys had changed their mind and said, no, this is something that was helpful to me. Uh, so it, it was, I think it's reflective that, um, you know, what I, what I know is that yoga, yoga's end output and potential outcome is to make you a healthier, happier person. So you live a, a life worth living. Um, and I think the, see, the, there was a lot of, I think the seniors were skeptical but open-minded enough um, to say, all right, this is something that's going to help me relax and feel calm, and I, all I got to do is, is breathe and move and rest and 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 go through go through these movements, and, and that's exactly you know um, the method and the approach that and the feedback that we would get. And what about with the seniors? Did you have a different kind of resistance with them? I think what it was, it, it was simply. Um, does, uh, you mean seniors, like our senior citizens, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like they have taught me to call them 60 and better, right? Uh, <laughs> so, them, um, I, I really do think it was it was just a light skepticism, um, but uh, it was clear to me that it was it was something they were open minded to and open to the possibility. Um, so, I, I actually found that there was there was more buy-in naturally you know you're an aging adult who you know who just has lived a life so you know what you will naturally like or naturally not like so those that were really felt called by yoga they would come to those classes and those senior centers and those that didn't you know just have their own path but you know and then i think um at the end of the day it's not about that everybody should do yoga is that it's like what is your grounding in relationship to uh the contemplation that that you use um so that you have um you know a a clear way of seeing uh you know your purpose and value in life 
or there are physical limitations when you were dealing with the seniors in terms of implementing a yoga program? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a, a lot of it can be more uh, chair-based movement. So it's like what is commonly known, like chair yoga programs. Um, and, and, you know, and for example, in school programs, it's, it's, there's space limitations. So, you know, is it in the classroom? Is it 10 minutes or 15 minutes? Is it in the, during recess between um, those two hours or three hours of recess in the school where you service the whole school? Is it, you know, in the auditorium, 30 to 40 minute classes throughout the day for a group of children? So I think um, whatever age group uh, that we, we have worked with, I think what it's important is to maintain a, a flexibility of how we we think we're going to deliver uh, our program. That makes a lot of sense. And did you incorporate some form of meditation or breathing exercises as part of this yoga? Yeah, and, and you know, we were particularly with the, in the school program, it's not something that you, we would talk about, and that is a meditation, but it's more either – you know, relaxation time or quiet time or calming time or, um, you know, so it's, uh, it was, it, it was more of, of, of a moment of pause, um, uh, for, for, for in this case, children to realize that when it comes to stress, trauma, lack of sleep, anxiety, depression, that they, that this is a tool that, that with enough practice, they can, uh, that helps them turn the switch off, and that is the, the the trigger, the stress trigger, or or the anxiety trigger, or the that depression trigger, uh, to be able to turn that switch off and be able to, on on with their own effort and through their own might, they're they might not know, but they're they're able to uh, refire and rewire their 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 own brain, right? So it's like their own neurohacking uh, technology, if you will. <laughs> Were you able to monitor some of the kids that you've worked with to see whether or not they've utilized these techniques at home and not just when they were taking the classes? Right. When I was uh, – so I, I, had a, I had a philanthropic role in a wellness foundation, and uh, there was a yoga-based program that was being delivered to 100,000 kids in the, in the country where um, there was um, clear um, – suggestions built into the curriculum about, you know, suggesting to the children, how can they take this home? And there's this wonderful mural in one of the schools that, that, that we had uh, operating under that grant where you had, um, you had school children talking about how they used yoga at home with their brother or their sister or their mom or their family. Um, so whether it was a stretch or a breathing technique, we did see that, that transfer. We did see that, uh, proximal teaching to to uh, just from the children to in this case to adults or peers or family. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's great to know that there was that transference. Um, you know, getting back to the theme of our talk tonight, the gift of contemplation. How do you, mm -hmm. Henry, balance your service to the community with service to your own self? Yeah, I think uh, you know. By nature, every single human on this planet uh, will – it's impermanent. So we're going to age, we're going to sick, we're going to – you know, we're going to die. And, and I think 
what's important is that you have enough soft in my at least in my shoes that you have enough balance of solitude and engagement so that you feel that you're nourishing yourself abundantly but at the same time you then once you feel nourished you go be in service with that nourishment that, that that's now in you um so for me it's about balancing you know my my um, my creative routines of these days in the morning and uh, having a daily yoga and a physical activity practice and then balancing that with, all right, now I got to, you know, press the flesh and have human contact and interact and connect and, you know, make sure that our organization keeps, uh, keeps going and that the team is motivated and how is the team feeling? So I think that out of, out of contemplation and solitude uh, comes replenishment of, of the self to be in service. Uh, and in my case, you know, like I say, like I was born to make people's lives better using whatever mission and tool is in front of me uh, so that I could go out, go out into the world and do that. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, I totally agree with, with what you said and your perspective on the need for contemplation. Looking at our society overall and you know, let's acknowledge there are many cross-purposes going on simultaneously right now in our country and the world. Um, overall, if you take a few steps back and observe, I mean, uh, do you think that contemplation remains a luxury for you or is really available to the multitudes of people? So what, what we know about that statement precisely is that what I can tell you about contemplative practices as yoga is that these are simple breathing, moving, um, resting techniques that can work for anybody, anytime, anywhere, right? In a city like New York, you see people meditating in the subway. Uh, in a city like New York, you see people, you know, crowded into like yoga studios and practicing. Um, so if, uh, is it, is it, is it, is there enough scale and access as there is, uh, for say, you know, more fortunate communities in, in urban cities and urban centers, and absolutely, uh, there, there's absolutely a disparity, right? Uh, but then, <clears throat> so I think that there is great opportunity uh, to continue to do this work in, in, in low-income communities, uh, in community centers and schools and senior centers uh, at very cost-effective, in very cost-effective ways that would have a very good output um, that is re- number of people reached and potentially great outcomes in qualitative and quantitative, uh, you know, uh, demonstrations. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I, I think that. So there is there's definitely of, a disparity. There's no doubt about it. Right. You know, uh, as you probably know from uh, uh, you and I conversing, um, you know, I've taken yoga for at least the last seven years. Um, and in the last five years, I've practiced Kundalini yoga. One of the things I've noticed when I went to class, um, the minute the class was over and people would be, you know, getting ready to depart the yoga studio, the first thing that I'd say over 75% of the people did was to turn back on their smartphones to reconnect. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I always found that to be interesting on many levels because after spending an hour or an hour and a half trying to decompress and relax and of course the last part of most yoga 
classes, including Kundalini, <clears throat> involves a re- relaxation period. That's, that's, that permeates most yoga practice. And after right. going through all that effort, I saw a rush to reconnect, check emails and texts. I always found that to be right. kind of interesting, that people are well, so quick to, to want to be back in that groove, so to speak. Yeah, I, there's, uh, I mean, I've gone in the past month through my own journey with this. Actually, this is the first time I have my phone with me today, and that's because uh, I lost my iPad yesterday, so I recovered it today. Um, but I, I think I think what's important is that, you know, the, like going back to the theme, you know, in the gifts of contemplation, you you get to continue to be in a in a continued place of discovery of what what is it that I'm holding on to? What things need to fall off? Um, and then just noticing that being connected isn't isn't adding being connected all the time isn't adding value or quality to my time as much as we think. And so I think it's it's ultimately a mental formation of ours that we have this incessant and seductive attachment to this this uh, you know handheld organ that like we grip every every part of our day um and i am i am first in admitting to you that that you know up until my 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 reflections recently i was i was the same way so but however you know that's why it's important to stay connected with with contemplative practices because you know what's what's clarity like i like i like saying clarity is a cold night so (laughs) so you know, what's, what's clear, what becomes clear to the mind's eye as a self-expression of, a, of, our, of our consciousness cannot be undone or uncreated. And then we make, we, then we make a choice, you know, and then we, we, um, we, do, we, we, get, we either get used to, you know, staying in the loop of, 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 of our old habits or we choose to say, well, you know, this is an evolution and a better step and, a, and a, an improvement that we can make. Right. You know, I here again, I, I agree with that. And I myself have been going through changes in terms of my relationship with technology, including the smartphone. I just want to share a couple of things with you, Henry, and the audience that have come to my attention. Uh, one, I recently read an article about this physician. His name is John Sarno, S-A-R-N-O. I had never heard of the mm-hmm. guy about a week ago when I read an article about him. And he was part of the medical establishment in the 1970s and 80s. Right. And his, his idea was considered quite revolutionary just 20 or 25 years ago. And I'm going to share what that idea was. His idea, which 99.9% of his fellow physicians uh, disavowed and completely uh, denied, was that mental anguish causes physical illness. And That's right. When I read that article, something just clicked in my mind because I've always believed that. I've always felt that intuitive. And and here's a guy who was shunned by the medical establishment maybe 30 or 40 years ago for suggesting that. And I think that now in our society with all the assaults, particularly the electronic assaults that people have in each day, and it just seems like people are on overload to me. And one of the things, another thing that, that sort of happened to me in the last couple of months is I realized something, that no matter what situation I'm in, 
Somebody can make a remark. Somebody can make a request. Somebody can make a demand. In the course of a conversation or an interaction with anyone, whether it's personal or business, and right away, your body, I, I mean my body, but your body and everyone in the audience, when somebody, when somebody makes a demand that you know is not right, your body senses it. It's like you recoil. Are you familiar with that feeling, Henry? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I discovered, and it just sort of came to me, was I don't have to, I don't have to respond right away for these requests or demands. In fact, I can even say to the person, "Can I get back to you on that?" And I found that taking that breath, taking that pause, if you will, is an amazing way to interact what would otherwise be a stress reaction and like a strain on my emotional, physical body. And I just wanted to share that with the audience because it's. Right. There's this phrase that I've, I've, a lot of great, a lot of great yogis have, have have used, and you know the issues live in the tissues, and there is so much truthness and and and, and suchness to that, um, and there is evidence these days regarding that. You know that enough stress, right. enough anxiety, enough depression, it's just ultimately gonna gonna make us prone to disease. You know, it, it goes from oh. being an illness to a disease. So I think right. that like again, one of the biggest. Um, gift uh, of contemplative practices is how much it becomes about preventive health so that exactly. whatever exactly. in this case in the, the, this particular case as we're talking is that this this illness makes make sure it doesn't uh, become um, an, a, a, a grave concern in the potentiality of becoming a disease of some sort right. <clears throat> Uh, unfortunately, we are very close to out of time. It absolutely fl- uh, flew. Let me thank my guest, Henry Cross, for being a guest tonight on Monergy Life. Let me, let me thank all the listeners. Uh, Henry, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. And hopefully we'll have some more shows in the future about this topic because I think this is something that people are interested in and can definitely benefit by. Once again, good night to all my listeners. Good night, Henry. Thank you for appearing. Good night. See ya. Thank you.